of the Opvat cast. I am Steve Cuff, and this is the number one um, arts, film, television, uh, just overall podcast in the entire world, according to not the iTunes charts, but you should probably just trust us on this one. Joining me today, I've got a, a really special guest, actually. Uh, you probably know him as um, the crown prince of the incels. Sean Glennis is here. Hey, Hey Steve, um, I'm just here. I'm just here to plug away four more podcasts before we get to the good stuff. That's right, baby. Can't wait for that 69 cast. Uh, also joining me today, he only likes Kanye West for his politics. Adam Myros is here. Hi, Steve. Uh, I'm kind of a. I'm actually glad for uh, the fact that you haven't fixed your uh, recording board at present because now I don't have to edit out when someone decided to go ha right as you did the intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just going to have to go in there. That's just part of it. Wait, watch. I'll fix it. You ready? Watch how I'm going to fix it. Welcome to the 65th episode of the Cast. See, now I just dropped that in. But I probably won't. I'm probably just going to leave it just like this. I'm uh, hold my breath on that. Yeah, you, <laughs> you probably don't hold your breath. You might turn blue. Uh, we also got Jake here. Of- <laughs> hey. Yeah, you dick. Not you, Jake. Sean's a dick. He tried to interrupt your big, your big uh, moment there. Yeah, they, thanks for stepping on my moment. Mm-hmm, I'm glad you mm-hmm. make me the Kanye fan because I hate that crazy. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do we have a soundboard now? That's awesome. That was, that was poorly timed. Uh, I thought you were gonna say, Sean. I'm gonna let you finish, but because that like you're been. gonna let me finish. <laughs> yeah, take that, Sean. I mean, Sean. Do you know who Jake is? Do you? Do you have any idea? No, he doesn't. Uh, Jake, no. Jake Trapila? Well, right. today, 18 congressmen signed a nomination for Donald Trump to get a Nobel Peace Prize. And number 18, that was Jake Trapila. Okay, well, <laughs> let's, let's not say anything rash. <laughs> the West Coast member of the delegation. That's right. right. Everyone who followed our support is getting a free copy of three billboards outside the heavy <laughs> Yes. Uh, can we talk about the resident uh, three billboards fan and the fact that that uh, <laughs> that beep might be poorly timed? It's a potentially problematic beep. It could be a problematic beep. <laughs> the audience is going to be asking what he said there, and the possibilities are unsavory. They, they are unsavory. <laughs> yeah, that was the joke. Thank you. Yeah, assassin. Did you guys? Did it's you guys hard, listen to Kanye's hot new track? Oh, you missed it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's like it's like three and a half minutes of just instrumental and then he just says like Scooby Dooby Poopy Pants, Poopy Poopy. Oh, okay. Yeah, like but those are the actual lyrics. Like you could look them up. He just like scats about pooping. That's that's it. I can handle that. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's right up your alley. Anyways, uh we have convened today because we need to talk about all these horror movies that have been coming out because um, the guy from the office has been going on all kinds of daytime television shows and telling us that, you know, um, horror is a shitty genre, but I really feel like, you know, we've, we've elevated it. 
So he fixed it for us. He fixed it. Thank God. It was so broken before, and now the office has fixed it. And that's what I've been looking for. John Krasinski with the dad beard making the gym face. That's what Horror needed. <laughs> yeah, they needed the guy. They needed the guy who was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a movie adapted from a David Foster Wallace book. Mm. Yeah, he's. Have, has anyone here seen any of his other movies? He's done two other uh, things, hasn't he? What else did no. he do? Uh, I've never heard of either one. They're both like family dramas. Family and We should stick to that genre. One of them's with Charlie Day. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. Another guy that makes poor career decisions on occasion. I think we should. Uh, I am interested in one in 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 like what this guy where where if he's going to make movies, if he's sort of like you know uh, a force that we can't stop. Where we would rather see him, but I think we should probably circle back on that after we talk about a quiet place. Yeah. So that's the name of the movie, A Quiet Place. And uh, basically, if you haven't seen it, why are you listening to this? You should probably just go see it if you're interested in it. It's about John Krasinski and his family, and we're in this post-apocalyptic uh, semi-wasteland of sorts. Um, and the monsters in this particular apocalypse are basically, uh, they, they, they're blind, and I guess they can't smell shit either, but they got real good hearing, so you gotta be super quiet, because if you're not, then they'll come and get you and eat you. Yeah, you know, you no. called it a wasteland, uh, Steve, but to me, this really uh, looked like most of the wedding venues I've been to in the last five years. That is true. You know, nice cornfield, some some barn action going on. Except with yeah, more some suicidal old people. <laughs> yeah. And, but yeah, unlike a wedding, like when I scream in a wedding, they ask me to leave. When you scream in a quiet place, <laughs> you at least get killed. <laughs> It's really not fair. Um, Although, I will say, there's a correlation for me uh, to, um, I guess, the heteronormative uh, uh, activity of, of getting married, which is like... What is, is that your favorite that? found footage but, movie, heteronormative activity? I, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to like... Uh, I'm trying to write on the spot like, a, like the worst clickbait headline that actually... Um, that actually represents my feelings about this movie that I think is really bad. That's that's the hottest take of the sense because um, the critics really like this one. It didn't do anything for me either way. Like I thought it was competent, but like deeply flawed and kind of boring, um, and also kind of up its own ass. But it like it functioned. Yeah, so it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Wait, so it, it, as somebody who might be the strongest defender, uh, let's start with your faults with it. I think uh, the biggest fault with this movie is, yeah, one, and this may sound like nitpicking, but it's a huge distraction. There is literally a dry erase board that sits in the background, like, throughout this movie that basically is just, like, like four or five key plot points to remind you of what the movie's about. <laughs> And it's also, like it yeah, literally yeah, says yeah. like it says like oh they they hear really well what is their weakness <laughs> that's what it says it's like yeah that's what the movie's about <laughs> and so then it's like I stuff we need medical supplies and food look like, yeah you should get those 
<laughs> okay, so here's a question to you guys because you guys watch more horror movies than me, and you sure. mentioned nitpick. You, 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 Steve mentioned nitpicking. So <clears throat> I found that like talking about this movie. Uh, I mean, my complaints sort of range uh, far and wide from nitpicking to to more thematic, and um, but I found that you can easily get into the weeds with this movie and the nitpicking. And <clears throat> but is that is that a part of talking about horror movies that you like or dislike? Uh, I guess mainly dislike or frustrated with where you start talking about the I mean nitpicking might even be like a pejorative in this sense that that doesn't work as well but like where you start digging into the machinations like the micro machinations of the plot because that is sort of like the axis that it's turning on that that really makes it work right sure I mean I think it depends on your intention when making the movie like this is a movie that is Dependent on an elaborate setup, and uh, if you make something that functions that way, that it, that it, it it depends on this particular set of circumstances that you really have to succeed in building the plausibility of these circumstances in the world. And I mean, a lot of horror is extremely simple and doesn't rely on anything elaborate, and it's just a. a a matter of craft and the ability to build tension and yeah, it's kind of a split down the middle, but movies like this where you're, you're dealing with something that's like, well, I'm going to make this whole cloth conceit. Then you have to sell me on that. Yeah. I yeah. think you can arguably nitpick any movie, but my problem with the, a quiet place is that, Hey, hey let's not just... get into three billboards in your defense of it. Jake. <laughs> no, I, it's not perfect. Um, but, uh, <laughs> My problem with The Quiet Place is that it's just so concept-driven that I can't help but find right. myself picking apart, okay, well, why Why is this here? Why is this? Uh, it, it's You can you can see the seams, so to why, speak. Why does he have a dry erase board that has, like, the basic concept or the basic function of the bane of their existence written on it as <laughs> if, you know, and, and this is, what, uh, 500 days in or or whatever we well, um, don't know how long this has been going on but yeah right. the movie, like flashes forward over a year after the opening scene but they're still acting like this has just happened like a week ago and every time there's a noise emily blunt or john krasinski will grab the kids they'll bug out their eyes really wide and they'll put a finger to their nose to be quiet it's like i think we get it you need to be quiet well, I mean, my theory on the dry erase board is it's actually the script from the movie, and someone left it in a scene, and then they had to keep it there for continuity. Because uh, there's there's not there's not a lot going on outside of the central conceit and like a few semi tense scenes. But the overall story is like, yeah, they're in they're just trying to live basically, uh, and, and figure out a way to maybe stop some of these monsters from fucking their shit up. But the big problem that you run into is, yeah, like you guys said, you, you start to see the seams pretty early on. And I, I'm not saying your movie has to be perfect, and it's easy to nitpick anything. And I think that can also be something where you you sort of run into problematic territory where you're not doing very you know solid criticism. But a movie like this is basically begging you to to invest in two things. And one is the gimmick, which is don't make any noise. And the other is John Krasinski is the ultimate dad, and this is an awesome family. And both of those things are deeply problematic in this movie. 
because yeah uh especially like before we get into the technical stuff because that's easy to kind of shit on um the emotional stuff a lot of it doesn't work very well and it, it almost it begins to unravel pretty early on and then it, it kind of rolls downhill but john krasinski's kind of a shitty dad and this is kind of a shitty family, and they're kind of in a bad situation, but I feel like they they don't do a lot of things. Like, considering he's doing all this shit, like, I'm going to make a hearing aid for my daughter, and, like, all this other shit. Like, that's nice, dude. But also, um, remember when your youngest child was torn to shreds and uh, by a monster because you thought it was a good idea to take a four-year-old out? to like look for food and shit like what the fuck why do you have to bring the whole family with you you thought of it you thought it was a good idea to keep batteries anywhere near this house yeah again Um, stupid uh and just like other little things that he does and it's just like what the fuck why is john krasinski boning in this movie he should not be having unprotected sex uh maybe when he raided the drugstore to get like medicine and supplies for his family he should have grabbed a pack of condoms if he was looking to go to the bone zone in the middle of the apocalypse or some, like some chemical out, castration you know, pills. That's what you should go for. Yeah, some permanent know, castration. Apparently, these guys are a real aphrodisiac. Um, but um, I mean, it's, yeah, a lot of people I think uh, give a pass. I mean, critics like love this movie. They are all giving a pass to this pregnancy. We talked about the seam showing, and this is like the first. This is the first jump in the movie, which comes in probably the first like ten minutes or so, mm-hmm. and. Um, and, and that's like a huge scene. Like that's a big hurdle for the audience, at least for me. And mm-hmm. it sounds like the rest of us to get past, which is like, yes, we understand, like we understand the the working logic of the movie, which is they lost a child and they want to replace that. That logic works in a functional society. And that, that is, that's a thing that happens in movies in, that take place in in realistic, you know, social realism movies, and that's not what this is. And I I can't get behind that that working logic of the movie because you're bringing a child into a world that uh, is you're you're bringing a mach- you're 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 bringing in a bag of flesh that makes sounds for for years incessantly into a place yeah. where. Uh, you can't make sounds and you also, and the, 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 the text doesn't bear out anything about the, the, you know, the progeny as, as like carrying on the species like that. And that's not realistic because they have children anyway. Um, but none of that is addressed. So we have to think that they did it to replace the child because it is sort of this cause and, and reaction thing or cause and effect. And, um, <clears throat> so it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but, but, Speaking about this family, and Steve, you mentioned that he's a shitty dad, and uh, the big problem is that he doesn't think he's a shitty dad. That's like, that's probably my largest problem with the with the movie. But but I think that um, I'll get I'll get my big issue out of the way, which is the theoretical uh, problems that I have with it. Is and this speaks to John Krasinski's uh, seeming uneducation with the genre and thinking that he's he's like elevating something. That he he clearly doesn't understand because um, the concept of the movie is this family, this very basic white family. You know, it, it, it's three kids and a husband and wife, and they have a nice house on a farm um, in rural America, whatever. Um, and the threat to that family is something that we don't know. And in horror movies, 
there's there's a historical knowledge of horror criticism that others represent a threat to heteronormative society. And he plays up that idea of the family as this paragon of heteronormativity so much in these these gazing shots of Emily Blunt. She's she's basically she's basically just like a baby pumper until she picks up a shotgun at the end. But like she is just there like to clean the house, um, fold the laundry, you know, have a baby. Like she just has nothing to do besides be a mother. And there and the way that he presents her is kind of gross in this context where um, he is the she's contrasted with him being the problem solver and um so you have these very uh stereotypical gender norms at play and so when when your film is just like so steeped in this this idea or this this presentation of the normal family the normal white family and the the threat is these others it's just like it's really hard for me to look past this idea of anything that's not heterosexual and white. I don't know. I don't think that that's reaching and I haven't really seen that. Like Richard Brody wrote a piece and I, I, I thought he was going to touch on it based on the title, but he didn't really, but I, I find that really hard to get past. Yeah. For me, it's biggest failure is that tension building. I don't think Krasinski well, no. really understands how horror works. The, the tension in this film is, Virtually non-existent. I had heard going in a lot of people compared this film to like Signs or a, a mm-hmm. M Night sort of film, and uh, I think as much as M Night has has not gone the direction a lot of people would have liked, uh, I think it does him a great disservice to compare this film to his work because that guy knows how, how these sorts of movies are supposed to work, and I don't think Krasinski does. And without that tension, it becomes the sort of narrative that I can't help but try and fix in my head because I, I just don't think it works if you want to go with this protectorate as the central figure you're I'm, I'm sitting there going well why the hell would he have him out in the middle of the woods in, in a rickety old farmhouse it's bound to creak every time you take a step it doesn't make any <laughs> logical sense you'd you take him into the city, find like a radio studio, someplace that's soundproofed. Hole or up the in there. water, the yeah, water, which he apparently knows. He apparently knows about, but hasn't taken his kids to the entire time because we see him introduced. Yeah, yeah it doesn't make sense. So or I'm going like, off. yeah, like if if you're in love with this set and you want uh, this pregnancy subplot, then there's an easy way to make that work. Instead of the the child dying in the open of the film, Krasinski dies in the open of the film. Emily Blunt's left newly pregnant, not sure how to deal with it. They don't have their protectorate. They're, she's evolving. I mean, obviously, this film holds a huge debt to Alien, and uh, you know, you could you could kind of give her the Ripley, the Ripley arc and uh, have her really harden and become that the protectorate for this family as the film goes forward. And, and that's how you could make this setting in this narrative work, but that's just not the direction they went and the way it yeah. functions now. It's just, it, it's something I want to fix. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, well, when, when you look at, uh, when you look at John Krasinski's character, yeah, he's, he's a shitty dad. And I think that's pretty obvious, but the issue that you run into is, 
uh, even though he's clearly a shitty dad, the movie doesn't think he's a shitty dad because, John- spoiler alert, John Krasinski wrote the script and directed it. <laughs> so he's not going to make himself shitty. And and that's where you run into this weird dissidence, you know, as an as an audience member, because you're like, why why is why is all this happening? And I get that, like, oh, people are flawed and yada yada yada. Yeah, but it's just like, why isn't any of that being addressed? Why does Emily Blunt just fall into the subservient role until the very end, where you know she suddenly... says his real is his real life uh, wife, which made this. Made this yeah. movie un- under the ideas that I was saying that I was watching it made me really uncomfortable. So here's here's my cynical take on on Krasinski directing. He he approaches a studio with a script. He's like, I want to make this movie, but I don't want to learn any lines. I'm going to cast my real life wife as my wife in the film, and I'm not going to wear any shoes. Can I have some money? I mean, that, that's that's a good pitch. It, it's such a it's such a high concept thing. Like you could pitch it. You could pitch it in, you know, in an elevator on a napkin, and and it and it sells, and and people pick up on it, obviously. But uh, what Myros, you were saying about um, tension, I think, is also sort of the root of the mechanics of this movie and and its failings. Is like, so like you know, we've seen silent movies before, um, where they ha- you know, the classic examples like Passion of Joan of Arc, where it's like all you have is faces, right, and this movie kind of sets itself up. It, 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 the ideal version of a quiet place would be so much more face acting, but the only one who's good at it is Emily Blunt here. And, and, um, she's given like one or two scenes to actually have fun with that premise. But like, he's so uncomfortable with silence. Like I, it didn't take me very long. Me and Myra saw this to start laughing at the score because it was just like, what do you, what's going on? This score is like, really cheese y and and it seems to just not give it any room to breathe and so what you end with is is a movie that people keep telling you is like oh it's so quiet blah blah, blah. and then you get there and you you want it to be quieter because he just can't stop trying to make up for uh the lack of his lack of either trust of his actors or his own ability to work with you know, faces. Uh, so he just like throws over like these tricks, like the soundtrack to make you know what he wants you to feel. Yeah. yeah that, that aspect really annoyed the piss out of me because I think of like, you know, a modern horror movie that really uses sound design. Well, you look at something like house of the devil and, and I kept thinking, Oh, what if Ty West made this movie? It'd probably be great. But Krasinski doesn't utilize his concept. The film is, it, it doesn't use sound well. It, it, it's lazy with its conceit. It, it is oversaturated with a score that doesn't belong in the film. It, it, there's no room for this movie to breathe. It, it, doesn't, ha- it doesn't work with its silence. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I just, maybe he wrote this script and he could pitch it, but he shouldn't have been directing it again i look at a guy like ty west whose career is is dead pretty much he's gone and and krasinski gets to make a this quiet place yeah. <laughs> hey I ty west I... made a western like two years ago or something mm. yeah it was, it was very good what was that uh i, I forget it's like a it's like a john wick western starring ethan hawk it's not really good I, oh yeah. newton boys I don't even remember what it was called, but I think the I think going back to the soundtrack, I think um, I think the score is uh, both unnecessary and intrusive uh, with a quiet place because 
uh, a, a lot of it is just informing how you're supposed to feel. Like when, when John Krasinski grabs a shotgun and runs out into a field, it gets really intense. Like, oh, this is an action movie moment. But uh, for a film like this to work, it shouldn't have any score. Like the only scene I think that remotely works based on the central conceit is the opening scene in the the convenience store because there's no score and you can like just hear everything perfectly like just the just the rattling of the pills and the bottles that Emily Blunt is picking up like if the whole movie stayed like that I think it would be much better but the score people are people are championing this movie because they're saying oh it's like it's it's a good horror movie because it's just so quiet but you can every, hear the popcorn you can hear you can hear people a cell phone went off in my movie theater by the way and people laughed like like gasped and laughed because they realized what was happening but but a it's not quiet because there's the score and i i, I fucking forgot what my second point oh, was well i mean to go off with that point <clears throat> um me and myros literally just got out of lean on pete um and it That's was quite- as quiet as a quiet place if not quieter there's like the score i mean there's not really a score there's like sounds but like you know there i mean like electronic sounds or whatever but like and i mean i i i wish it was louder so i didn't have to hear the people around me talking the to each other um through the movie but but it it was like you know i've seen so many things from critics saying like yeah, like, it's so crazy quiet. Like, don't get popcorn or don't get any, like, Twizzlers or I was annoyed by this person getting this or I could hear the ice in somebody's soda. I, I gotta like, be honest. I, I read a bunch of that stuff online. Like, people on Twitter and some critics and stuff were like, mm-hmm. yeah, don't be a dick. Don't get popcorn. <laughs> I know. They have these really good at, at the Marcus Theaters uh, in in and around Milwaukee. They have really good pepperoni pizzas and they're, like, thin, crunchy crust. <laughs> so I got a big-ass pepperoni pizza. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, good on you. Good on you. <laughs> it was uh, delicious. I'm sure. Um, but like, what my point is is that like that that doesn't make this movie remarkable on its own. Like, and these are critics. Like, you go to a lot of movies. Go to more. Go to movies with the more general public, I guess, or something. Because I mean, like I said, Lean on Pete. It was extremely quiet, and that's not a horror movie. And I don't know. It, like, it just. I, I, I don't know. I, this movie makes me frustrated. Somebody else can speak. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like crazy about Lean on Pete, but you could literally rip the score from that movie and place it in a quiet place instead of what exists, and it would improve the film exponentially. <laughs> yeah. Right. I agree. Well, shit. Uh, in addition to Critical Darling, A Quiet Place, another movie came out right around the same time. Maybe not the same week. I think the week oh, after. fucking... A fucking real movie. A real movie <laughs> made by real people for, for real for real cinema fans. Let me let me tell you about this movie. Uh good lord. <laughs> we need to, we need to take movie. a second. We, yeah, I think it's my favorite movie too. I love it. I'm so excited. I'm uh, so excited. Let's talk a little bit about Truth or Dare. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, That's not the movie I saw. Wait. What movie did you see? Bloomhouse's Truth or Dare. Ah, my mistake. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You saw some Kirkland signature. <laughs> I saw the Costco version. Holy shit. Okay, so, I mean, critics pretty much universally loved A Quiet Place, and Truth or Dare was universally shit on. I can't think of a single major critic anything. that enjoyed it. Yeah. I think... 
the best review that I saw was, this is very bad, but I liked it, and I don't know why. Which it seems kind of disingenuous, because, yeah, it fucking ruled. That's why you liked it. <laughs> uh, Jake, what is Truth or Dare about? Oh, man. Uh, Truth or Dare is about a group of 20-something college students who go to Mexico for a weekend getaway. And they run into this guy at a bar who takes him to a dilapidated uh, monastery mm. and suggests that they play truth or dare. And unknowing to the group, he passes a curse along to them where they all become these uh, Snapchat, Snapchat-faced monsters who smile and ask truth or dare their friends. And if they don't do the dare or tell the truth, uh, they get killed. Ooh, and, I called them... Uh, uh... I call them Fire Marshal Bill Martians. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do kind of have Fire Marshal Bill face going on. Yeah, it's crazy. And yeah, and then it just becomes a sort of a... Like, a, it follows meets Final Destination. Uh, but... And it's getting it's getting trashed by critics, and I think audiences largely ignored it, but, I mean, hell, I had a lot of fun watching this movie compared to A Quiet Place. And this is about the part where our audience, if audience listeners to the podcast want to take it seriously, this is where they're going to be shutting it off. But hear us <laughs> out. I think, I think Truth or Dare is a genuine blast. Because oh, yeah. Because it is, it is, I mean, yes, it, objectively it's terrible, but I think it's so much more fun and it's, I think it's smarter than A Quiet Place and how it, how it's crafted. Oh yeah. I mean, this plays into that high-low debate and A Quiet Place is this stately thing where, you know, it's stately and it's high concept and it takes itself seriously. And it's and, and <clears throat> nobody would bat an eye if you said that you thought it was great. Um, but Truth or Dare is is low art and codified that way. And you're not supposed to like this or you're like being ironic. But holy cow, this thing was a lot of fun. Just just to we do doing our diligence here. Uh, a Quiet Place is sitting at ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Jesus, and and Truth or Dare is at fifteen percent. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? I just don't yeah, understand. Fifteen percent of critics enjoy fun. Yeah, that's... I, should, I feel bad. I should have written a review. You you should have. Yeah, why didn't you? You got to boost that yeah. score up, man. What Bump the fuck? The score. You're our key to the world, Sean. Seriously, yeah, but some, something like this is is nice to go in without like a task uh, and just to enjoy it unbridled and count all the lamps. Can we talk about lamp count? Oh, let's yes. talk about the let's talk about the lighting in this movie. Holy shit! <laughs> so yeah, they go to the monastery and the creepy guy turns on a giant like spotlight that he had somehow constructed and installed into the into the location, which has been seemingly without power <laughs> for. For 50 years. <laughs> it's an ancient building. Yeah. Uh, it has this, industrial light. <laughs> this is, it's like the most well-lit movie I've ever seen in my life. I, I like became fixated on it super early in the film. So it just became like a point of riffing where there's like a scene right at the beginning where she's making this stupid fucking like YouTube video about like, I'm doing Habitat for Humanity. Uh, and the whole scene is just blown out from the back with like, it's, it's shot in front of a window and it's just like the fucking <laughs> surface of the sun behind her just like blowing out the shot. And I was like, 
what the hell's going on with this lighting? And, and so the rest of the movie, I just kept fixating on every scene. There was an interior in, in like an apartment. There would literally be like five lamps in a given shot. It's like, what, what in the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, at one point I leaned over to Myros and I said, "I said uh, this is like shot, or this is like lamp reverse lamp, because uh, at every over the shoulder shot you could see a lamp behind people." And what was great, like like the 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 most fun thing about it was that you would see a uh, a newly lit lamp next to another lamp that wasn't lit, and then it would go to the next person. And you'd see another lamp, and it was just like <clears throat> I. All I could think about was like what the crew, what the like design crew or set set crew like was doing, like just going from like store to store, from like from you know these marshals to, to lamps to yeah to TJ Maxx like every day just looking for different lamps that they haven't bought already. <laughs> yeah, there's like the the big scene where they're like trying to convince the uh, the second lead girl that it, it's real, and I. I just remember they were having this like serious powwow in their house, and I just leaned over to Sean and was like, "We just got the electric bill." <laughs> 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 uh, well, I don't know where where do we go from lamps? That's kind of the well. Thing I, 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 I just want to say because you, Myro, Sean, you guys saw it before I did, and you specifically said, "Keep an eye out and count the lamps." So. I, it was impossible to actually count each one in each scene because, as you mentioned, there's like a half dozen active lamps in in any given scene. But throughout the course of this movie, and you got to remember, too, there's probably like, I mean, they spend a lot of time in their house and a, a couple other interior scenes. So there's not a lot of lamp opportunities, but they maximize them, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. There are 27 individual lamps that are turned on settings? that are turned on in this movie which oh, is wow. fucking insane <laughs> so the, the like this is a moment that like I'll describe it cuz we've kind of already set it up um but it's like you can't really do justice to it without seeing it but the end uh without spoiling anything they return to this ancient cave church thing in mexico in cancun where they went on spring break and the whole thing started they returned to that at the end <laughs> and the, the shot starts with the guy walking over to the industrial light and just turning it on <laughs> so it's like it's diegetic at this point and that's like it really turns it into like this mystery science theater experience and there's just something intangible about a movie that is just like like i don't know just like lays bare this thing and and just like lets you enjoy i guess for a better uh, a better description but just watching him actually turn on the lamps actually turn on the light source that they're working from so it's not like you know you can see like uh you can see shots from movies where people are talking in bed and realistically there's like no source of light, but um, they create a source of light that turns into you know artifice and you just accept it as part of film language. Mm-hmm. And this movie refuses to do that. And I kind of yeah. love it. This, this movie is the best. I, it's there's, like, the best. there's also a sequence, an exterior sequence, where the truth or dare demon forces a drunk girl to walk across the house drunk and finish a fifth. 
and the bulk of this scene is is filmed in an alley. And the alley again in the middle of the night. It's just like holy shit! What what the fuck? Now, apparently, this alley has seven streetlights. <laughs> also, also, uh, this woman, this, this woman who has a drinking problem, she drinks an entire fifth of like rail vodka. Hell yeah! And then it culminates in her falling on a car, and she's okay. There's a mattress. And then literally 10 minutes later, she's, like, coherent. Oh, yeah, she's fine. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's Honestly, it's beautiful. And Wasn't my favorite like part... the next one to die, too? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This whole big yeah. fucking thing to save her. Then she just dies, like, five minutes later in the movie. It's and I think, I think it's important to touch on, too, because we, we talked about how um, John Krasinski is a shitty dad in, in A Quiet Place. But the problem is, is the movie doesn't think that he's a shitty dad and then so you have this weird dissonance between the two things now every character in truth or dare is a fucking idiot but the movie seems totally on board with that and everything is just aligned and follows the fact that they are fucking idiots because of course they are they're these idiot college kids like they they don't know any better at all like nothing about them says oh you're smart uh and and the best (laughs) the best thing about this movie is Good lord, it's worth the ride just to get to the ending, which is like it's the it's one of those endings where you're like, "Oh, wouldn't it be funny if they did this?" But of course they wouldn't because that's like literally the stupidest goofiest thing they could possibly do, and that's the choice that they made for the ending, which is fucking fantastic. And another thing is, before they like set up the actual end sequence, um they're they're trying to figure out a way to like break the truth or dare game. And so they get the demon to actually start playing with them somehow. I'm not even sure how that happened, but uh, well, they say if you ask, then you are automatically a player. So uh, they tell that to the demon, and that was the loophole they found to get yeah. the demon to play. And then they ask, "How do I kill you, or how do I beat you?" Yeah, and then he goes, "Ooh, you can't!" <laughs> and it's just like, why didn't you dare him to stop playing? Like, no one thought of that. Uh, <laughs> Literally, no one Cuff. thought of that. Cuff, he chose truth. <laughs> but the problem is that this movie fucking... It, it like, fucks... It has this ridiculous uh, contrivance where it's, like, you you have to... One out of every three uh, truth or dare has asks to has to be... Which is amazing! Because oh. you know when they were writing the script... Like, in between, like, swigs from cheap beer and, like, the joints that they're fucking blazing, they're like, dude, what if everybody in our script picks truth, though? Like, what are we going to do? It's like, no, man, we got this rule, okay? We're just going to put a rule in there. Like, that's that's and the then, whole idea. And then, the like, the, and then, like, the like, white... The white nationalist in the group was like, but how are we going to get rid of this Asian gay kid? Like, oh, we'll just make sure uh, <clears throat> one of the dares uh, gets him killed. And then they forget that they need to, like, reset that at the end. So they just make up this stupid thing about him. What does uh, he, he do? He does a dare because the he, they're about to solve it. And then yeah, he's like. Yeah, that's the fucking thing is that they, they fuck up the count. They fuck up the count. <laughs> there is literally the, the climax of the film. There is. Well, A, they're so, like, married to this fucking twist ending that they literally have the the main character say 
dare every time because she's a pure and good person and doesn't want to force one of her friends well, to habitat, do it habitat for humanity which we know she signed up for even though she ditched that for cancun but still right but they're they're so they need this twist to be uh, a shock so they have to keep her pure so every time she says dare so she has has just said dare they're free and clear to say truth and they're about to to stash away this demon and he asks the the male uh truth or dare and he he fucking says dare and it's like what why? Yeah, but, and, and his reasoning is like, because one of you girls is next, and like, I, I didn't want anything bad to happen to you. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you're about to end this and, shit. It's insane. This, and then that would have set up the demon. That would have set up the demon, so right. fuck, he would have had to pick Dare. Uh. Isn't one of the Dares, like, they don't want to say how the girl really feels about their, the third yes. male boyfriend, <laughs> and so they say... She picks dare instead of truth, so she wouldn't have to tell. And the demon says, "I dare you to tell the truth." Yeah, oh, again, it, because they have to make the main character say dare every time because we she should. doesn't want to set up her friends. So that when she says dare, the the demon's just like, "Yeah, tell the truth about this." It's like, what the fuck? This script is amazing. It's it's pretty fucking I, I'm awesome. Recalling a, I'm recalling a lot of stuff about it that I that I really love that I forgot. Um, but I will say before I get to, to to more good stuff, there is a very glaring issue with the gay character. Oh yeah, with that. <laughs> Jake is like, how could this go south? Uh, he's like the only one that you don't get to see. At least through the first like thirty truth or dares, you don't get to see the truth because it's him coming out. Well, and... his dad's a cop, and he's dared to right. come out to his dad, and then it just cuts to the next scene, and he walks up and says, <laughs> "Guys, I came out to my dad." No, and that's fucking awesome because the the fucking stoner bro idiots who wrote this movie were just like, "Fuck, man, we can't write like a heartfelt moment here." <laughs> like they literally couldn't write that; they just couldn't do it, so they just avoided I it. Love, it's brilliant. <laughs> I love the I love the cop father because he shows up. At any time, they don't know what to do with that character, and he just goes, "Hey, I need to talk to you outside," and then he just disappears. <laughs> no, he's, he's also like not an actor; he's just like an Asian guy they pulled off the street. He's like, "Hi, I need to talk <laughs> to, to you kids." It's like what the, that whole scene where, yeah, prior to that too is is like the the big spook set piece where they have this like ridiculous fucking corpse. <laughs> like right when they cut to that, I just couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, what is? What the fuck is? Well, this? And that was the only moment where they really utilized the jump scare. And I, and we were talking uh, when we saw it about how like you know uh, we're talking Q2 horror and Q1 horror. Uh, there was uh, the death of the jump scare uh in winchester which was just like jump scare built on the next jump scare and i really loved how i didn't have to play around with that i didn't have to 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 wait for this to pass or expect the next jump scare like there's literally like one maybe two jump scares in this and the rest is just like really uh sticking to the concept yeah Yeah, there was like goofy corpse and there was like michael rooker hobo and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I love Michael Rooker Hobo. He was my I don't favorite. Know where I am. I I loved uh, uh, what was the character's name? Rodney or Ronnie? The guy who was like the dickhead. 
who's uh, not not even in their group of friends. He just yeah. no, he just shows up and he's like, "Yo, what's up, bitches? I got a boner. Let's fuck." Like he, he's just a guy who shows up and does things like that. And they're like, "Oh, yeah. Ronnie, what are you doing here?" He's just in Mexico. He's just at he's, college with them. He's like the type. He's like the type of guy in your dorm hall who like tries to round up the trip to to Hooters for the first time. Mm. Um, he, but I love. So, <clears throat> spoiler alert: he dies uh, early. And um, he <laughs> that lovable character table. dies. Oh my god! <laughs> um, he dies, and uh, he he dies like in a bar on a pool table because he refuses the truth or dare. So he's sort of collateral damage for them to understand the rules that if you refuse to tell the truth or to do the dare, you will die in some fashion, very uh, Final Destination esque. Which I gotta and say, so- I gotta say, that's a brutal death, man. Like. Oh, for... Well, that speaks to what I what I love about uh, what happens next. So he dies in this really brutal like billiards fall thing, and it's in a it's it's in a bar full of students who have cell phones, and the friend group are like you know whoever hears about it. Like I think the Lucy Hale, the main actress, is like telling them about it, and. Like no no it's a, it's on YouTube or whatever the video let's watch it and one of the guys can't stop watching it <laughs> he just watches it multiple times in the scene oh yeah he's it, like interrupted I love it it's great yeah, it, somehow Roddy is not the biggest asshole in this movie so I don't think <laughs> like the, the fucking, student yeah he's just like selling pills <laughs> gets. <laughs> About the he has he has the best. I the movie won me over when they go to the the Truth or Dare monastery and the creepy <laughs> guy who lures him there. He says, uh, "Hey, let's play Truth or Dare." And somebody says, "What are we twelve? And he says, "No, come on, it could be fun. You know, make somebody do something they don't want to do or learn your friend's deepest darkest secret." And the pre med guy goes, "Actually, that sounds kind of interesting." And I started like, now that you put it that way, you put it that way. Oh my god, we didn't I think forgot about. It. I forgot about his uh, his uh, truth or dare moment, uh, the climax of his his state in the game, which is pretty funny. Um, also, the pen, the, the the pen says, Yeah, he says, "Hey, you need a prescription? I never go anywhere without my lucky pen." And he pulls out a pen and it gets a close up, and you're like, "Oh, that's gonna come back later." Another, I think the other more brutal part, which I'm kind of forgetting the details, but like, so uh, the 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 girl who's opposite Lucy Hale, who's like best friends until she decides to not be best friends, even though it's beyond her control. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense why she's mad at her, but they just need some sort of conflict. And um, <clears throat> her father can wait. Can somebody who remembers it uh, more clearly uh, talk about like the details about? Her father, Lucy Hale's uh, involvement with, sure, sure, and the video. I, I can totally break that down for you. So you, check this out. Um, this one girl, she really, really loves her dad, and her dad killed himself. So then it's this big thing that's hanging over the whole movie. So um, her best friend, who's the goody-goody girl and our main character, um, she knows the truth about why dad killed himself. And the reason is, is because one day, goody-goody girl was having a rough time, so she went over to her friend's house, and the dad was there, and he was just like, hey, you want some wine coolers? You know, like your typical creepy dad shit. 
And then she got a little buzzed, and then dad tried to, like, kiss her, maybe grab a boob. We don't know. And so she was just like, you're gross, and your daughter would be better off if you were dead. And then he was like, good idea, and killed himself. And so in this game, uh, you know, she's watching, not in this game, She's just she has this video of him saved on her phone of him barbecue, <laughs> barbecuing. <fucking> swordfish steak. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he makes some really bad pun. And um, he, what's he, he like dares her. Like, so this, this video that's like sacred to her existence, like her only real, like they're her last memory of her dad who like killed himself after trying to bone her best friend, <laughs> um, dares her to kill herself or something like that. Is that no, what happens? No, he dares, oh. he says, hey, do you remember the gun I used to kill myself? And she says, yeah. And he says, why don't you go get it? And that's the end of the day. <laughs> that's brutal. Like, okay. Yeah, I, I that was something where I kind of I was like hoping it would go there, but didn't think it would the first time she watched the video, and then it did, and it was really satisfying. Uh, I like how the movie like forgets about poor old Ronnie too. Like every time the cops bring, you've lost three friends already. It's like, oh, what about what about old Ronnie? <laughs> they, just, they just don't even count him in the tally. No. Fuck that guy. He was kind of a dick. <laughs> Well, so was the med uh, med school guy. Yeah, but they loved him. <laughs> he gave him free drugs. Mainly, they were all fucking dicks. Is the med school guy's like drunken girlfriend? Just, oh yeah, no. Every everybody boys. in this in this movie is an idiot and an asshole. But it's like <laughs> completely fine. Like everybody's just like, yeah, they're all idiots and assholes. The movie knows it. We know it. They know it for the most part. Like it's it's great. So, so to get back to the what to the beginning of this discussion of like mm-hmm. this idea of like uh, truth or dare being like uh, much better than than something stately like a quiet place, uh, it's not uh, for listeners who may be like I don't believe you or I saw this and I you know whatever I, like it doesn't make sense or you're trying too hard or whatever. Uh, for for me, this uh, this is somewhat similar to friend request which i saw last year i don't think anybody else saw it but no um um, that's a movie where it also is contingent on this relationship between friends where like demons or the unknown or the occult like sort of interfere and it tears apart these friends and and one is like no trust me this is like this otherworldly thing happening and the other one's like i don't believe you i hate you now um (laughs) And it, it's contingent on the same thing, but that's uh, this this operates as like a good um, uh, opposition in terms of like a movie that can't do it well in Friend Request and something like Truth or Dare. I don't know exactly the alchemy. Maybe it's just all the stuff that we spelled out and the fun that it has with it. And Friend Request doesn't really have that. But um, or I don't know how you achieve that if you just really if it is like, you know, the Blumhouse crew, like really playing it up and knowing it. I don't know. Yeah, I listen stuff, stuff like stuff like the YouTube watching the watching Rodney's death on YouTube like that's not accidental though like that's no. that's not something where it's like oh you like this because ironic no that's something that is actually happened and was edited in and, and yep. it's lovely <laughs> yeah it's 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 fucking brilliant and and seriously I think the difference also is that a quiet place thinks it's important. And even Krasinski says so, and he calls it elevated horror. And truth or dare knows exactly what it is. 
and it's just out to have a good time and give its audience a good time. It was probably shot for pennies, and uh, and yeah, I, I really dig it. A lot of the like we mentioned, a lot of the budget just went to the lighting department. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you need, dude. D D elevate all horror. All horror should be D elevated. Exactly. Oh my god, we have our title: D elevated horror. D elevate the horror. Oh. Uh, uh, well, good news. Uh, this movie is probably going to make $50 million on a $3.5 million budget. So we might get ourselves uh, Bloomhouse's Truth or Dare, too. Oh. Especially with, I don't know if you guys saw, I don't want to exactly spoil the ending, but did you guys see the Rings movie that came out last year? Oh, God, yeah, yeah that was horrible. Terrible. That's the worst. Yeah, so it's, it's the exact same ending where the Rings movie ends with the girl forwarding the Samara video to like all of her friends on her Gmail account and then they all start watching it and it's like she curses everyone and this ends with her asking truth or dare on her Habitat for Humanities vlog and thus infecting the whole world. (laughs) Which is real fucked up too considering her whole YouTube channel is like dedicated to philanthropy and she's just like murdering people basically. It's, it's awesome. Really up, but my favorite part in that whole montage is that it shows like these two guys, obviously in front of a green screen, like they're made to look like they're in Egypt or something. But, like, <laughs> but it's, they're just in a studio somewhere. <laughs> See, this ending is not as dark as I suppose something like Rings because uh, that's like a death sentence. Whereas this is like, what now? The demons is gonna have to ask everyone on Earth truth or dare? I mean, yeah, the demons just gonna be super annoyed. Ask. Yeah, you probably have to, even, you probably have to play the game like twice in your fucking life. You're good to go. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about the tongue cutting the tongue cutting scene, which is oh probably the the second best after the final use of lamps. <laughs> <laughs> oh. They're in this. I, I don't know. They're in like New Mexico or or maybe it's Mexico itself. There's something old Mexico. Old okay. Mexico. <laughs> and they have to like go to. So they find out that like, <clears throat> or they they have to go to the last person who played the game or something stupid like that, or last person that ended the game or something, and um, <clears throat> find out how they rid themselves of it. And it turns out that she cut her tongue, and it has to happen with like the person who started it up or whatever, the douchebag who brought it to them. Uh, but they go to this house, and it's like I would say it might verge on problematic representation. Um, but, uh, of this like old Mexican woman. And, um, anyway, it goes in and it's like, you know, this very analog setting with candle candles and whatever. And, and that's like the source of lighting. And sure enough, in one of the shot reverse shots, there's a, there's a lamp just turned off, but still there in the house for some reason. <laughs> well, for, there's a lot of details you're missing here. First of all, these kids, I'm assuming they live somewhere in Southern California, We'll say they live in L.A. They they go to instead of like going to the library, they go to Mexico like three times. Like five, in the movie. Man. Exactly. Exactly. They, they don't use search dot com. They go to uh, although they do. There is an extended sequence where they're trying to find somebody on Facebook. But um, they go to Mexico and they go to the, the nun. She's the sole survivor of the original monastery. And they go to the nun's house and her granddaughter answers the door and she says, oh, she doesn't want to see anyone right now. And they, Lucy Hill asks, oh, can you please check? And so, and then they wait out of the, outside of the nun's house for an hour. Hours, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And she's like, okay, she'll see you now. And then it's this frantic Mexican lady who's writing notes in English to the, to the couple 
to, to tell them how to break the curse. And like the nun, I think, gives the worst performance of whoever that actress is. I'm sorry to say because she's just like yeah. so fidgety and shaky and uh, and I don't think she it's understood what, what movie. Yeah, I don't understand. Think she understood what movie she was in. <laughs> but um, yeah, but that seems fun. The fact that there's a lamp there is just like sort of the seal. <laughs> you can't not have a lamp. I okay, and I gotta be honest, like. So the whole thing is she tells them that in order to break the curse, like, somebody has to cut off their fucking tongue and, and put it in a jar, basically. And then they have to say some magic words. And I was really hoping it was going to be, like, a genie situation and she was going to actually say the word lamp because I would have lost it right in the middle of the theater. If- <laughs> 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 it's like it all makes sense. It's just been symbolism the whole time. Oh, uh, Okay, guys, so we've established that uh, Truth or Dare is the greatest horror movie of all time, and all horror should be de-elevated. There's one more thing I want to touch on, and uh, just real quick before we wrap things up. Uh, but Wait a second. What, I mean, because I don't think everybody saw this one, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Okay. Uh, I, I know I know you want to stand on your soapbox and uh, and jerk it for the crowd no, here, I Sean. I actually don't have much to say about this. <laughs> you, you just wanted to yell, wait a second, at me? <laughs> okay, so the movie I'm talking about, it's, uh, it's called Unsane. And to my knowledge, it has nothing to do with the 90s metal band. No, nothing. It okay. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, uh, what is unsane yeah, about? No, no, wait. But and the other thing too, Sean, you saw it and Jake saw it, Jake. but Myros I, and I didn't. I saw it, yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, yeah and, tell tell us what it's all about. Uh, Jake, go ahead. Yeah. So this is um, unsane is the shot on iPhone film by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, it's about a woman played by Claire Foy who's recently moved to uh, Philadelphia. And she is, uh, I forget, having trouble sleeping or something. So she goes to a uh, see a doctor and uh, involuntarily, uh, uninvoluntarily. She has PTSD from, that's right. from, from, a, stalk, uh, from a stalking yes. incident. And so she unwittingly checks herself into a mental institution for a week of treatment and finds out that he is an orderly there and he has followed her there. And uh, Or has he? Or has he? And the film is her either trying to convince uh, the staff around her that she is being followed, or maybe she's just crazy. That's the tagline for the movie. Is she or isn't she? And uh, I gotta say, I really dug it. Um, A lot of people liked Logan Lucky and thought, oh, Soderbergh is back, and I thought it was just okay. And I think this is a much better picture if you're going to come back to directing films too, because I think I, I, I just felt... He he. It seems to me Soderbergh was more invigorated to do a project like this, where he's shooting on a very like almost no budget with and getting these amazing shots with an iPhone. And I think the performances are all fucking killer. But um, Sean, you didn't like it. Why? Um, and there's well, a lot. It, all, it I, is kind of messy, and there's a lot going on in it. I will admit. But um, first of all, I don't think the performance by. Claire Foy is good at all. I think it's all over the place. Um, ah, and her, like, I, I don't know. <clears throat> it's been, it's been a while. This sort of cat, this is sort of like the beginning of Q2 horror. Uh, so it's been a while, but, um, I, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think when I watched it, I was really uncomfortable with it. And it's not really something I would cast over the movie in general, as much as my experience. Like I, I I was 
I don't know. I don't have I don't have something salient to say, but I like so it's basically about um, her being this traumatized person being stalked by the person that traumatized her earlier. And um, and it's set in this this mental mental uh, health hospital and she's she's with other patients and it's really forgettable, I think. But but even more than that, um, it's mostly you, you watching her dealing with being further traumatized in a way that made me really uncomfortable. Um, and I and I don't know. I was I was so there was a good piece um, by a fellow writer for Film Inquiry, uh, Emily Wheeler. She wrote about it, and uh, and I think she had uh, more of a problem, but in the same vein. Um, and uh, I was talking about uh, how I react to something like Dario Argento movies uh, as opposed to this, because this is like an exploitation movie um, yeah. and so are his. But like, I feel like there's something in the dressing, the tapestry of Argento that isn't here that makes me more comfortable with Argento as, as comfortable as you can be watching an Argento movie. Um Maybe are you saying that Soderbergh knows better? I think as a that filmmaker? yeah, I mean that that could be it. Like maybe maybe it takes like a terrible person like Dario Argento to like make movies that are just like there's something in it, there's something in the mixture that like is just kind of like I don't know I I don't know it's really intangible to talk about so it, I probably sound like nonsense but like the, but there's something where I at least admire like all of this technique in Argento and you know I'm not really caring as much about the story um, and here I think there's so much built into the tension and I don't know I feel like it's maybe I was taking it too seriously but I didn't have fun watching it and I was glad to leave um, hmm. I think that I think that Stephen Myros would probably have more fun with it than I. But even like sort of removed from from watching it, <clears throat> it it seems more minor. I like I think it probably prospered critically from being released at the time that it was as as like this you know this auteur film um, yeah. released at like in February that sort of like hit this sweet spot between um, uh, Black Panther like the huge movie and then like trash like Truth or Dare. Uh, similar to probably a quiet place, but in a different vein, where it's like, oh, we get this auteur movie, and it, and we can take it seriously, and uh, I think people really liked it. But I don't know, I don't know. I, I feel like it's going to be easy to forget. Um, I don't know. That's that's all I have really to say on it. I don't. It's not for me, and I don't think I'm going to remember it. Like it's. It's going to be next to bubble in my Soderbergh ratings uh, years from now. I would think maybe the fact that someone like Argento works so heavily in like artifice and excess that that it's probably easier to detach from the actual events right. depicted in the film, whereas we, something filmed is, on an iPhone is probably rather uh, realistic. Exactly, yeah. and that that does play to what he's driving at, which is this sort of voyeuristic feeling, and maybe that's what made me feel uncomfortable, <laughs> uh, but. But it's also, if you're, if you're familiar with with uh, the rape revenge, this isn't a rape revenge. But if you're familiar with that, you kind of know exactly where you don't kind of you know exactly where this movie's going. And yeah. by the by by the ending, to me, it just felt sort of like the revenge part just felt to me like breadcrumbs uh, for sitting through something that I that I thought was kind of terrifying. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe I, I, it's been months since we've seen this film, and, uh, and to be honest, I had not seen many movies that had come out this year before I saw Insane, and I was, I was, I think, just really jazzed to see something that I enjoyed in the theaters. Sure. And I, I definitely will admit this is a this is a minor film for uh, Soderbergh. I had a lot of uh, flashbacks to watching The Girlfriend Experience, uh, which is a film I'm not a fan of. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think just a high profile director making a really stripped away, low budget, uh, genre picture, it, it just worked, it just worked really well for me just to, to be in that moment, just to spend a hundred minutes watching it. I don't, I didn't, for sure. it didn't do me any harm. And a lot of the formal stuff I really liked. And, and I mean, it's, I think you can sum it up. Like the movie ends with a freeze frame and you're either, you either like that kind of thing or you don't. I thought the, I thought the final shot was uh, perfect in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, I I just I, I walked away thinking, man, I wish that um, uh, the main character was clairvoyant. <laughs> oh, oh Jesus! I thought she was good, by the way, and I a lot of people don't like her accent. I think the accent. Which works. one? Exactly. Oh, it's a weird. It's okay. a weird blend. Oh God! Of uh, her English and American accent. Anyways, <laughs> uh, okay. It's not going to be my in my top twenty probably. By the end of the film, unless this year really just sucks, and then we'll see. But, so yeah, I, I liked it at the time. What you're saying is, it's no truth or dare. Oh no, truth yeah, or dare I know it'll be in my top twenty. Fucking truth or dare. Yeah, it seems likely. <laughs> Definitely in mine. All right, guys. Um, I think it's about time we wrap things up. We all agree that all hell of it, all horror should be de elevated. That's that's been established firmly. So if anybody asks, yeah. Fuck it. That's everything should be like truth or dare. I want more Blumhouse stupidity because uh, it, it, the more self-serious horror movies made by the John Krasinski's of the world that we have, that they're, they're they're not doing anything for anyone, <laughs> me especially. Uh, Sean, what are you putting over this week? Um, <clears throat> I will put over a very special movie for me this year. Uh, Discovery of um, Paul Schrader's filmography. Um, I hope I'm not stealing one from Jake. Um, but, um, yeah, after seeing First Reformed, I kind of wanted to bone up on some Paul Schrader stuff that I had missed over the years. And Light Sleeper, which is a movie from 1992 starring Willem Dafoe, uh, was a movie I hadn't even heard of before. Uh, but it's, <clears throat> it's part of his Lonely Man trilogy, quote unquote, with, um, uh, uh, American Gigolo and, um, taxi driver i think but anyway it's uh this really dark movie that you i mean if you know if you're familiar with palestra you kind of not know what to expect but it's this really dark movie about a drug dealer in in new york city and uh he uh is going through stuff and trying to figure out life and it's it's a beautiful beautiful uh midnight movie all right sounds like a winner now myros I know from looking at uh, my Amazon streaming app recently, uh, they have both, or I shouldn't say both, all three, Fred 1, Fred 2, and Fred 3, the movie, are all available to stream on Amazon Prime. So I'm assuming that's what you're putting over this week? Is one of those the Halloween one, or is that separate? I, uh. yeah, that's a good question. Also, why do you have such in-depth Fred knowledge? Uh, you know, I watch Nickelodeon on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not anymore. I don't really have cable, but once upon a time. 
when Fred was a thing. Uh, yeah. Anyhow, I am putting over uh, <coughs> love love Simon because uh, yeah, much wow. like much like Truth or Dare, uh, it, it feels like a film that that could have just aired uncut on CW on a given evening. And in fact, it was directed by Greg Berlanti, who is the helmer of the Arrowverse uh, in CW, and it's uh, just a really bubbly teen romance uh that i don't know it cured my uh my cinema malaise post ready player one and i i thank it it's a great time go see it enjoy it all right it's really it's it, enjoy it is like the perfect words for it it's such a fun movie it's well, just nice and that's yeah. that's okay it's another movie that knows exactly what it is and it it, it does it just right so myros you put over Love Simon, Jake. Will you be putting over Love Actually? Yeah, no. And for more information, <laughs> you go back and listen to our romcom on where we tear that film to pieces. <laughs> that is exactly what I wanted you to do. Good plug, man. High five. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Um, no, I'm going to put over. Uh, this is so far uh, the best movie I've seen this year. Um, it's uh, Chloe Zhao's The Writer. Um, this is her second feature film. I haven't seen her first. Uh, but the writer... Um, yeah, I hardly know her. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> the writer discusses that age-old adage about, you know, when you fall off the horse, you get back on. Uh, but in this case, if you get back on, yeah, you might die. Um, the writer is about... Uh, it's played by an entirely uh, amateur group of actors who are all essentially playing themselves follows this uh, young man named Brady who suffered a head injury after falling off of a horse at a rodeo and he's slowly working up the uh, courage and the health to get back onto a horse and uh, the film is essentially just about him getting back in the saddle as they say but uh, it, it, the performances are all as, as everybody is playing themselves like his sister is played by his sister and she's mentally challenged in real life and his father is a ranch hand who's also playing his father in the film and at several points in the movie he visits a friend of his who suffered a recent but m more debilitating head injury and is uh, almost a vegetable in a wheelchair and that's the real guy Um but yeah, there's it's it's a very gorgeously and beautifully shot film, and the performances make it all seem so completely naturalistic. And I, uh, I, uh, uh, oh, I guess Sean's gone. Um, but uh, and Sean I'm is here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Always yeah. in our hearts. All right. Well, anyways, um, yeah, the writer. It's a great film. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a uh, remarkable. It's the best film I've seen this year. Uh, go go check it out. Is this a prequel to Ghost Rider? Yes, yes. Mm. The, the kid bears a striking resemblance to young Nicolas Cage. Okay. And, uh, yeah, at one point... He oh, I meant the Polanski one with... Uh, oh, that's yeah. Ghost Rider. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Wait, it, but but is it is it a sequel Rider. to The Reader? <laughs> yeah, what's up, Oscar bait from 2005? Okay. Uh, no, probably 2007, 2008, whatever. It's a Why shitty movie. We know what year this fucking movie came from? It's fucking trash. That's a horrible movie. Uh, <laughs> Weinstein classic. You guys, in a row about it. you guys talked about it on the, the fucking Shark Sam and the Jump. Yeah. Sam this Mendes. will be two podcasts in a row. 
<laughs> that's awesome. I didn't even listen to that one. I edited it, but I didn't listen to it. So that's that's a good thing to do, good by to the know. way. Little Let's production just keep talking note there. About the fucking reader every week. That's what we <laughs> yeah, do. we'll have we'll have our readers corner every week where we just <laughs> drop a fun fact about the reader. <laughs> hey, actually, I have two fun facts. Actually, one's not fun, but <laughs> I uh, I I started reading the reader before it came out because I thought it was going to be good, mm-hmm. and then I stopped. <laughs> I stopped punctually. But um, uh, the other fun fact is that I have bought. Two tracks off iTunes of the reader soundtrack for some reason. I can't remember if it, I, That's the sad I part, like right? It must have been like Philip Glass or somebody that I was interested in, and then um, but but I downloaded it, and there must have been two tracks missing, so I bought them on iTunes. But the 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 shitty thing about that is that once you buy a song on iTunes, it follows you like the rest of your life. It's like it follows, um, but with bad songs on hey. iTunes. You have All to right. cut your tongue out and burn it. <laughs> okay, guys. I have to cut out my disk drive. It's yeah. time for my put over because uh, you know you save the best for last. Anyways, I've been spending a lot of time on the Amazon streaming app because it is, um, it, it's a tire fire to be honest. You can put anything you want on it. Cat TV three. Yeah, there's there's Cat TV three uh, and Cat TV one and two. There's also Dog TV, which is literally just shit you put on for your pets. Uh, there, there's like shit that's just from YouTube. Like if you're some jackass YouTuber, you can just put your shit on Amazon for some reason. Um, it's just like anthologized cinema scenes. There is, yo, oh God, fucking shoot me. Um, there's, there's a bunch of like really weird, like Godfrey Ho and and just like weird Shaw Brothers kung fu shit. It gets real weird. Um, also, I love the way they sort things because it's completely ludicrous. So, <laughs> uh, there's there's a category that says more more like dirty dancing, and it includes Medea goes to jail, click and carry, <laughs> which is what I think of when I think of dirty dancing. And my favorite is um, <laughs> there's there's a there's a romantic comedy recommendations, and uh, American Honey is on there. Which seems a little odd. <laughs> but anyways, uh, what I wanted to... I, I'm not putting over Amazon as a platform, uh, but I... I was going to say, are you putting over the streaming yeah, service? Yeah, I, I want to I put over the taste of Jeff Bezos' dick. Um, it's it's beautiful. It tastes like Fruit Loops. No, I, I want to put over... I've been watching Unsolved Mysteries, and of course the Robert Stack ones, not fucking Dennis Farina, because I'm not a heathen. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and I, I've just been watching it straight through before bed, you know, just get a couple episodes in. And then I started doing this thing where uh, I started looking up the people on Unsolved Mysteries on Facebook, which is real weird because a lot of them are just like dead <laughs> now because this was 30 years ago. Uh, and that's kind of creepy. But the other reason why you need to watch Unsolved Mysteries is because almost every episode, probably like every other episode, they have these uh, these little parts where... It's someone looking for someone, and it's just like, so-and-so, uh, you know, they were pulled from a burning car, and then they never saw the guy again, and now he's looking for this guy, and his name is this, and blah, blah, blah. And it's all these situations where literally this wouldn't be a television show. It would just be like a guy would sit down at a computer and just look his ass up on Facebook, and it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and some of the things that they get excited about, like there's, I, I just watched one the other day where... Uh, they were like, 
a mysterious fortune is left behind after a man in a trailer pa- passes away. And I'm like, ooh, trailer living billionaire or something like that. <laughs> Motherfucker had 10 grand. That's it. <laughs> like, that's standard trailer savings, I feel. You know, if you're really careful with your money. I'm, not me, but... Uh, so it's it's just it's so fucking weird to watch that show now. Uh, highly recommend it. Robert Stack is just the motherfucking boy. I want to give a big kiss, but he's dead. So how do those unexplained segments hold up? Are they like I, you know, they're terrifying when you're a kid, but I assume they're like the dumbest fucking shit ever now. Oh, it's super dumb. There's a, there's a couple that are kind of good still, but a lot of them are really really stupid. There's this one that I got really into just because. They were focusing on the paranormal aspects, but I was way more into the while these people are fucked up aspects. And it was like a guy who like married his like 17-year-old cousin and then they they moved into a spooky haunted house, but they were just touching on the haunted house stuff. And I'm like, "Wait, he's fucking his cousin and she's underage. What's going on?" No wonder the ghost is upset. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know. This reminds me. Um <clears throat> I I don't know about you guys, but Wait, what uh, remind? Are, are we? T- are you, what reminds you? Robert Stack and Unsolved Mysteries, or fucking your seventeen-year-old cousin? <laughs> hey, maybe all, maybe all three. But Unsolved Mysteries uh, and your your discussion of it reminds me that we never finished talking about nine one one, and I never finished watching it. The well, finale. We're this. we're gonna we're gonna get to it. Don't worry. Next episode, we'll wrap it up eventually. <laughs> I promise. One of these Six. days. All right, we'll gentlemen. Wait for the nine hundredth and eleventh episode. Yeah, that's that's when we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the 91st at least all right well um if you have enjoyed the podcast today please click the link that is in the description of the podcast you are fucking listening to right now after you click that link give us five stars and a written review why on earth would you do that that's because if you do then we become more visible on itunes the more visible we are the more people listen the more people listen Uh, The more shit that we can do for you because we can stop wasting our time doing mundane, dumb things every day and we can actually, you know, make you some content. Uh, If you want to tweet at us at Optimism Vaccine, you can email us all of your uh, questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, except not for Jake. He's engaged. Uh, yeah, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. That's, <laughs> That's right. The big reveal. That's the title of the episode. Jake's engaged. Uh, <laughs> anyways, you can reach me. Next week, we're going to go through, uh, uh, we're going to go through the canon of Bachelor movies. Ooh, that'll be Jake's Bachelor party. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll watch, watch every, we'll watch all 29 Wait, seasons of The Bachelor. Oh God! No, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. We're going to watch uh, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag or whatever. Uh, or is that a very bachelor bad, party? Not a bachelor movie. I don't either that so. or I get it confused with what's that? Very bad things. Very bad. The very bad things bad. is a bachelor party movie. Uh, eight okay. Heads in a Duffel Bag. I don't know what kind of bachelor parties you're going to, I, buddy. I, I think I group all Vegas movies as bachelor movies. All right. I also, don't think that's a Vegas movie. No, that's <laughs> not a Vegas how about movie. Poor cow. Poor cow. No, no, none of that is. Not poor cow. Sorry. Uh... Something with a cow with with Jeff McConnell. Okay, Jeff let's McConnell. just keep going with this. So let's fucking wrap it up. Here. Yeah, we're wrapping it up. Uh, I'm on oh, Twitter. Callers. You know, this would be a good time for me to fix the mixing board so I could just mute Sean. At uh, Steve Cuff is the Twitter handle. Uh, Sean, where do we find you? You're unmuted. <laughs> there is a Jeff McConnell movie with Cow in the title. I'm going to find it. That's, that's find too long to be your Twitter handle. At... 
Real Jack Eason on Twitter.com. Great, great. Uh, <laughs> Jake, where are we going to find you? I'm at Jake Tropila, T-R-O-P-I-L-A. All right, fantastic. And, uh, Tom Katz is a Bachelor movie. Tom Katz is a Bachelor movie. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Myros, you, you're not on Twitter. What's your favorite Bachelor movie? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm no expert. Maybe I should join Twitter and, and film Twitter will tell me what the best Bachelor movie it is. It probably will. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap things up, guys. Thank you again, and uh, we'll see you next time.